Hello and welcome to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. This week, Kay Ryan. Now, Kay Ryan is an American poet who I can honestly say I love. I discovered Kay Ryan not that long ago, actually, in the last year. And, um, oh, it's just good. It feels so good. And these poems are short poems with short lines sort of stacked up on top of each other like like piles of American pancakes with maple syrup nearby. So I don't want to get all gushing about Kay Ryan, but I do, I love her stuff. And there's lots of it available on the internet. You don't have to go out and buy a book and trust me straight off. But when you've read some, you'll want to buy a book, I think. Okay, what can I say about her? She was the American Poet Laureate. This is my Poet Laureate theme for this series. From uh, 2008 to 2010, that was a two-year stretch. And one thing I'd say before I read the first poem, I'm actually really excited about reading it. I like to feel her words on my lips. Anyway, she uses a thing that she calls recombinant rhyme. I think that's how you say it. Recombinant being R-E-C-O-M-B-I-N-A-N-T. And she says, this is Kay's story. I'm speaking like I know her. I feel like I know her. I don't know her. But She said that when she first started writing poetry, she really wanted to rhyme. She was desperate to rhyme, but she recognised that rhyme was a a very unfashionable thing at the time, certainly in American poetry. I think just American and British, it's seen as a bit too trad for a lot of people. And she herself felt that she couldn't confront end rhymes, rhymes that come at the end of a line, like, um, no, of course, no, I need one, and I know a thousand, I can't think of one, but I was walking down the street, I saw a person who looked sweet, that kind of end rhyme. She didn't want that, but she couldn't resist rhyme. So her rhymes, this recombinant rhyme of which she speaks is rhymes that are sort of redistributed. Occasionally, occasionally you'll get an end rhyme when she was making a big, big final point. But usually they come in the middle of lines, they creep up on you out of nowhere. There might not be one for a while, and then two or three come together, like the proverbial omnibuses. And often they're not full rhymes. They're what we called, you may recall, in the... Emily Dickinson podcast, slant rhymes, half rhymes, rhymes that don't quite hit the rhyme, but make you sort of feel the rhyme in your shoulder muscles. Okay. The first, I really want, I'd like to read like 50 of her poems, but I'm not going to do that. Don't panic. Don't switch off. It's going to be okay. So the first one I want to read is we're building the ship as we sail it. She's a contemporary poet, obviously. She's, a, as I say, Poet Laureate, 2008, 10. So they're all fairly, they're modern. 
What I mean is I've just realised I didn't know the dates of these poems. That's what I'm hiding from you. But no, I'm not hiding it. I'm spitting it out. Okay, the first poem is called We're Building the Ship As We Sail It. We're building the ship as we sail it. It's almost a poem in itself, the title, but anyway. I'm going to read the whole poem, first of all. Don't, again, don't panic. It is, I'm doing a quick count. It's about 15 lines, but they're short. If you get four words in a line with Kay Ryan, it means she's ruminating. Okay. The first fear being drowning, the ship's first shape was a raft, which was hard to unflatten after that didn't happen. It's awkward to have to do one's planning in extremis in the early years, so hard to hide later, sleekening the hull, making things more gracious. Right, I don't expect you to grab all that in one gobful, but we'll look at it now. First line, the first fear. So already we're talking about a sequence of fear. So we're talking, uh, the theme is trepidation, um, we, we establish early. And I'm interested in fear. I have a theory that everything we do in life, if you break it down and break it down and break it down to the lowest common denominator, every decision is based on either love or fear. I wasn't planning to explain my everything based on love or fear theory, but think about it and you, you'll find every decision you do is somehow tied to that, in my opinion. I say every, I'm going to say most to avoid any angry emails. Okay. The first fear being drowning, the ship's first shape was a raft. That makes sense, doesn't it? The first fear being drowning. So you're beginning the voyage. Now, there are very few voyages in poetry that are just voyages. They are usually some sort of life symbol. The first fear being drowning, the ship's first shape was a raft. And this is almost like everything we do, we start off with that anxiety about what if it goes wrong rather than the imagining of it being tremendously successful. Actually, I do a bit of the latter, but uh, we don't have to go into that now. The first fear being drowning, being drowning, we're already getting a little hint of that slant rhyme. The ship's first shape, again, ship and shape, very close, almost the same word. And also, of course, evoking the phrase ship shape, which means grey and perfect, which I don't think we are at in this point of the poem. But although she's constantly playing with you, is uh, Kay Ryan. The first fear being drowning, the ship's first shape was a raft. Makes sense. The safest possible craft. Large surface area. Which was hard to unflatten after that didn't happen. Now, you can hear that rhyme. It makes me smile, that rhyme. I don't know why. So let's just look at that first sentence again. The first fear being drowning, the ship's first shape was a raft 
which was hard to unflatten after that didn't happen. And there's those firsts in there, the first fear, the first shape. It's all about beginnings. The beginning of this poem is about beginnings. It's awkward to have to do one's planning in extremis in the early years. In extremis being desperate circumstances and everything, I suppose, in the early years, life, any major projects you have, beginnings are always difficult and you do have to do your planning in extremis. So you are often building the ship as we sail it. I'm doing it a bit now. I've got, I know what poems I want to read, but I don't know completely what I want to say about them. I certainly uh, wasn't expecting uh, my love fear thing to, to crop up. I'm past the raft now, I think, with these poetry podcasts. I'm, I'm, I think I'm at the schooner stage. It's awkward to have to do one's planning and extremists in the early years. So hard to hide later. Sleekening the hole making things more gracious. So the point of this, these short, spiky lines, it's awkward to have to do one's planning in extremis. It's difficult building the ship as we sail it. It's hard to make things happen as they are happening. Planning in extremis in the early years, so hard to hide later. I think that's a key line. Because if you've put up all those safety nets, if you've been a bit desperate early on in whatever the project is, including life itself, it's hard to hide it later. People know. People remember you being nervous. People remember that tentative way you approached whatever it was. The question is... Actually, I'll come to the question at the end. Sleekening the whole, making things more gracious. So... You don't want people to remember the raft when you were frightened. You sleeken the hull. You make it smoother, more pointy, more stylish, classier, making things more gracious. So you lie in a way. You pretend that those early formative stages didn't happen. It's like, I guess, Kay Ryan, I read in an interview once, said that she wrote like, a thousand poems when she first started writing poetry and I don't think any of them made it. She wouldn't want anyone to see those, maybe, but she did talk about them. And this is the question, I think, and this is, I think, how Kay Ryan's poems work. They seem very small, short, cute little poems and then I think about them for about three weeks afterwards. So, so hard to hide later. Sleekening the whole, making things more gracious. Now, gracious, the last word of the poem, can mean refined and stylish. Uh, it could also mean kind. To be kind is to be gracious to someone. But is it kind to hide those early days, those beginnings. Aren't you making it harder for the next seafarer? Wouldn't it be better for them if they thought, oh, actually, she did okay and she started with the raft, so it's, it's fine. 
I'll give you a par example. Um, occasionally, my partner and I argue, and she always says to me, don't argue in front of our child. My argument is, it's okay to argue in front of your child as long as they are then allowed to witness the apology, generally from me. That is a, a better life lesson than this sort of sleekening the whole of our relationship by pretending we don't argue. That's what I feel. That's what I feel this poem's about. Get used to Kay Ryan. Don't switch off yet. I think that seemingly simple little poem is loaded, loaded, loaded with stuff. And it's, they're great sort of things to discuss with someone. I only discuss them with you. I'm going to do another one now. Can I say, by the way, uh, this next one's called Carrying a Ladder. And it was one of the first K. Ryan poems I saw. And I thought, oh, I get this. It's, it, it looks like a ladder. It's a big stack of about 20 lines. And they're all like three, four words. And I can see they're supposed to be wrongs. But I was wrong. And as you know, two wrongs, etc. Now, there's a quote I love from Kay Ryan when she talks about the short lines and the shortness of the poems. And she says what she likes is edges in poems. And I think what she means is first words and last words of lines always seem more important and more significant, not just word, last phrase or something of that nature. It just seems to give them an added importance, a sort of capitalization or a farewell. So um, she says, and I'll quote this, I've actually written this down in Black Byro, edges are the most powerful parts of the poem. The more edges you have, the more power you have. They make the poem more permeable, more exposed. Now, again, we could talk about that for half an hour, but when you look at them on the page, and like I say, they're, they're, I think all these poems are on the internet. So they just look short and spiky with lots of air blowing through them. But the words, each word seems more important because it's so uncrowded by others on that line. Carrying a ladder. Again, I'm going to read the whole thing. I don't normally read the whole poem, but you don't have to get the meaning straight off. Just, just listen to the fabulous K. Ryan sounds. We're always really carrying a ladder, but it's invisible. We only know something's the matter. Something precious crashes. Easy doors prove impassable. Or in the body, there's too much swing or off-centre gravity. And in the mind, the drunken capacity. Access to out-of-range apples, as though one had a way to climb out of the damage and apology. OK. We are always really carrying a ladder, but it's invisible. That's the first three and a half lines. I tell you what this reminded me of. I once saw a stag, fabulous stag, 
emerging from a forest. And it, the first time you see a stag in the wild, I think the only time I've ever seen one with the big antlers and stuff, it's a bit of a wow. It's a bit scary, but it's magnificent. And as it came through, it banged its antlers two or three times on overhanging branches. And I thought, oh, I'm glad I don't have any of those. And carrying a ladder is is a bit like that. You're constantly banging into stuff. But you have something with you which seems to allow you some sort of ascending skills. Anyway, we're always really carrying a ladder, but it's invisible. We only know something's the matter. Something precious crashes. Easy doors prove impassable. Now, you see, I would say that invisible and impassable are slant rhymes. Precious and crashes, they're constantly banging around. I find with Kay Ryan that I can read a poem for the sixth time, maybe, eighth, maybe, and think, oh, I didn't spot that rhyme. Where were you hiding? So... We are always really carrying a ladder, but it's invisible. We only know something's the matter. Something precious crashes. Easy doors prove impassable. This is what happens when you carry a ladder, as I'm sure you've all tried. Or in the body, there's too much swing or off-centre gravity. And in the mind, a drunken capacity... Access to out-of-range apples. So, we can't get through doors. We're smashing into things. In the body, you're very unbalanced. You're swinging around because you've got this invisible heavy thing on your shoulder. And in the mind, a drunken capacity, access to out-of-range apples. Now, if you've ever been drunk, which I have, uh, I was drunk for about 13 years does great things for your confidence. You do believe that you can jump off things and um, win arguments and win fistfights with larger people, etc. So one of the things this invisible ladder gives you, in the mind a drunken capacity, access to out-of-range apples. So this is the complicated part of the poem, I think, because... This ladder, this invisible ladder that you're carrying, so far in the poem has seemed a bit of a pain. You're crashing into things. You can't get through easy doors. But that drunken confidence, and maybe this is because of my own personal history with alcohol, seems to me like quite a good thing, a thing I miss to some extent. And in the mind, the drunken capacity, access to out-of-range apples. And I think it gives you a belief, drunkenness. And I think what Kay Ryan is talking about here is we have something in us which makes us think we can achieve things that are seemingly unachievable. We imagine we have access to out-of-range apples apples which sounds good as though one had a way to climb out of the damage and apology now the damage and the apology i'm assuming 
is the damage caused by this ladder as it crashes into things. As it said, something precious crashes, easy doors prove impassable. So what are we apologising? We're apologising for that accidental damage, which is caused by the ladder, which seems to give us access to things which we might not normally dream of. It gives us a drunken capacity, access to out-of-range apples. So that ladder, though, it enables us to reach the apples. And I'm talking about what you need to reach life's apples. Maybe the sort of necessary single-sighted eyes-on-the-prize mentality, which often does do damage to those we pass on our pathway and often does require an apology. So I think that's what it's about. We need the invisible ladder, but it does damage. And it actually doesn't help us to climb out of the damage and apology. We still are in there, but we can ascend to that which maybe we thought unattainable. That's what I'm thinking. Look, to clarify, I don't want to beat around the bush. Kate Ryan, I think, is talking about life. We break delicate, beautiful things, including hearts. We can't pass through seemingly straightforward doors. Let's say we can't move from one room, one place, one state of mind, one relationship to another without a terrible crashing and staggering and scraping. We're unbalanced and we have perhaps, I mean, ridiculous dreams. The apples, as she says, are, after all, out of range. Maybe it's not giving us great ambitions. Maybe it's just making us think we can do things we can't do and that they are, in fact, truly unobtainable. But our egos or our fear of failure make us keep carrying that heavy, destructive ladder because we can't totally give up the idea of us climbing high. That's what I'm... Look, it's a metaphor, yeah? It's a metaphor. Get over it. I'd like to read the first few lines of Carrying a Ladder emphasising the line breaks so you get a sense of what the poem looks like and what it feels like on the page. We are always really carrying a ladder, but it's invisible. We only know something's the matter. So this is what it's like. It's this teetering, tumbling words. And it, it looks like a thing. You know that thing that T.S. Eliot said, which um, I'm probably going to misquote, but he said, a poem means something before you understand it. And these poems look like something you should learn from. They look very sparse and very economical. They look like wisdom, thought, intelligence, art, Beauty has been stripped down to the basics. And so all you're going to find there is philosophical lean meat. 
I'm going to do one more. I just want to read loads, but... Okay, this one is called Blandier. And one thing I love about... Um, I'm going to call her Kay, because she, she feels like Kay to me, is she's not frightened of a pun. I love a pun, but my goodness, it's a highly dishonoured pastime, most people think. it's. I think it's taken over from sarcasm as the lowest form of wit in the modern world. But a good pun is, I think, special. And Blandia is uh, a mix, I'll tell you now before I read the poem, a mix of bland and grandeur, if you hadn't worked that out, which seem absolutely diametrically opposed. But you'll see why that happened. This is slightly longer poem, but I think I can get away with blasting it out and then talking about it. Slightly longer, you know, in... in in K. Ryan terms, is about maybe 20 very, very short lines. Here goes. If it please God, let less happen. Even out earth's ronger, flatten, eiger, blanden the Grand Canyon, make valleys slightly higher, widen fissures to arable land, Remand your terrible glaciers and silence their carving, halving or doubling all geographical features toward the mean, on lean against our hearts. Withdraw your grandeur from these parts. And you'll see, it's worth waiting for, we actually get an end rhyme at the very end of the poem. So, I've never met Kay Ryan, but I just think, she is a clever, clever person and an original thinker and expresses that original thought with tremendous beauty and wit. If it please God, we're starting with a qualification straight away. I don't know if you've noticed, by the way, that this poem and the previous two that I read, we're building the ship as we sail it, and uh, carrying a ladder. There's no I in them. They're all very we poems. And that tends to be the way with Kay. She, I'm going to give you another quote, because I've read a few things. I'm fascinated by this woman. She said she finds I problematic because, and I quote, the personal is too hot and sticky for me to work with. That's fabulous, isn't it? And so, again, I think it's like reading Rumi or some someone like that. It feels like we should be learning from these poems. And I think that Kay might hate me for saying that, not that she'll ever hear it, because I think the last thing she wants to do is spread her wisdom and her message. It's probably not the last thing. She probably does want to do that, but I think she'd feel uneasy about it, which is why she's a brilliant poet. Otherwise, she'd just be a preacher. If it please God, let less happen. I mean, as an opening couple of lines, that's great. Asking God, if it please God, if this is okay, let less happen.
And then the whole poem becomes a sort of cry for ordinariness. If it please God, let less happen, even out Earth's rondure. So even out the curvature of the Earth, that's a bit too extreme. Flatten Eiger. The Eiger is obviously a, a mountain in Switzerland, so that's too high, too pointy. Blanden the Grand Canyon. And you've got there, if you listen to those rhymes, if it please God, I'm going to do the, the, the rhymes and the, the slant rhymes a bit louder. If it please God, let less happen, even out Earth's rondure, flatten Eiger, blanden the Grand Canyon. It's all going on there. So, even out Earth's rondure, flatten Eiger, blanden the Grand Canyon. I don't even know if blanden is a word, but I guess it means make more bland the Grand Canyon. I don't want these jaw-dropping spectacles. Make valleys slightly higher. Widen fissures, F-I-S-S-U-R-E-S, widen fissures to arable land. So these narrow crevices and cracks, let them open up into nice, flat, friendly farming land. I love this bit. And you'll hear the rhyme, so I'm going to go back a bit. Widen fissures to arable land. Remand your terrible glaciers and silence their carving. Halving or doubling all geographical features toward the mean. So, remand your terrible glaciers. Remand them send them back or, or imprison them it can mean as well stop stop them from being so spectacular and frightening remand your terrible glaciers and silence their carving now carving is in the sense of when a cow has a baby spelt like that c-a-l-v-i-n-g but and i'm going to be straight with you i didn't know this until i read this poem I see poems as often intellectual and verbal advent calendars where you see something you don't understand, you open that door by Googling or whatever, and you find that something new and exciting that informs not only the poem but maybe the rest of your life. Remand your terrible glaciers and silence their carving. Now, the carving of glaciers, C-A-L-V-I-N-G, is when massive, massive chunks of them fall off, often forming sort of icebergs in their own right. And when that happens, apparently, it's an enormous cracking, booming noise. People try to predict this and go to watch carving of uh, glaciers and um, other big icy things. Okay, so remand your terrible glaciers and silence their carving, halving. It's a great rhyme. Silence their carving, halving or doubling all geographical features toward the mean. Halving or doubling, you know, with the when we had the valley, it went slightly higher, but the Eiger had to be flattened. So everything is coming to a nice straight even settled 
line. Now this. Halving or doubling all geographical features toward the mean on lean against our hearts. Withdraw your grandeur from these parts. On lean against our hearts. Go a bit easier on us, God. Will you? We can't cope with all this extremity, all these highs and lows, geographical, but I think also emotional in this in this poem. On lean against our hearts, stop pressuring us. Don't make us have to carry this heavy weight. Withdraw your grandeur. It's stunning. It's absolutely stunning to see the Eiger and to see the Grand Canyon. And it's absolutely stunning to be, let us say, in a wild and passionate relationship. But there's always fear and danger and possibly pain. This, someone here is asking for the mean. They're asking for the flat line rather than the highs and lows. Withdraw your grandeur from these parts. And it's like it begins, if it please God, it's as if K. Ryan is saying, look, we're mortals and we can only take so much. And really life, geographically, physically, emotionally, can you just even things out a bit? That was K. Ryan. Read more K. Ryan. I hope I've done her justice because I love her. She's so clever, but her work is is so lean. It's so economical. It has a fabulous simplicity of form and a complexity of content. And that's good. Thanks for listening to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. Don't forget to follow so you never miss an episode. And you can also catch me every Saturday at 8am on Absolute Radio. There'll be less poetry in that, but more jokes. See you next week. <laughs>